You're here, which means that you've found spirit crumbs, leading you to your inner light worker. I will be sharing how these tiny little hints from the universe have led me to where I am today. I hope that by hearing my story and the stories of others, you'll pick up your own spirit crumbs along the way that will lead you to somewhere magical. Thanks for coming along for the journey. Let's see where it takes us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Spirit Crumbs. I am your host, Andrea McCallum, and I am an artist and a healer. So we are on week three now of The Artist's Way, and this week's theme is Recovering a Sense of Power. So when I think of power, I feel like it goes in so many directions, but so many of us, when we hear the word power, we just like want to retreat from it. It just seems like too much. But it's really something that we build over time. And there are lots of ways that we do that or lots of ways that we can see what our relationship is like towards power. In this chapter, Julia Cameron starts talking about anger. We really want to act on it in the moment. It's something that makes us feel driven to action, but we often deny it. We feel like it's not appropriate and it's not nice. So we don't actually do anything with it. And instead we repress it. But really anger is meant to be listened to. It's something to be respected because it maps us to our boundaries and helps us to translate what we're missing or where we feel like we've been betrayed, whether it's by someone else or by ourselves. So for example, It might show up in terms of creativity when you get mad that somebody did your idea first and you feel like they've like stolen your idea, but that's really just telling you that you're upset with yourself for procrastinating or that you didn't take your idea seriously and now someone else is capitalizing on it. And I think in this way, the more you start to dig in and start to do this work around creativity, that your anger is really showing you your old life is dying. It's like the death of your old life and it's propelling you into the new. It's really forcing you to take action because now when you feel it, you recognize it, you learn what what it means to you in that moment, you know kind of the direction to take next. Another theme that I of course love, which we talk about every chapter so far, is synchronicity. And obviously for me, that spirit crumbs is when things just come together or show up for you to take action. And the way she talks about this is that like sometimes answered, answered prayers are scary because there's this implied responsibility that comes along with it, where we feel like now we have this opportunity in front of us. So now we have to take action. And that's really scary because just like last chapter, we tend to dismiss that as coincidence in order to not have to move forward because that is frightening. But by acknowledging that there is a powerful force beyond ourselves that is responsive, that is helping us to make our dreams become possible, it makes us realize that we might actually be able to do what we say we want to do. And that is terrifying. When you think about it, freedom in general is terrifying. When we have no limitations put on us, when there's no structure, nothing to expect, it can be really scary because then it means that we actually hold all of the power. And 
whenever we do choose to show up and commit towards our dreams and really say, yes, this is what I want. That's really powerful. And then that's when the synchronicities really start to speed up because we're taking it seriously. And we're saying to the universe, this is me now I'm going to do this. And you don't even wait for the universe. It's when you start taking those little action steps that you're already moving. And it's so much easier to just have the universe speed you up than it is to get you moving from a standstill. And the way she talks about synchronicity in this is this fortuitous intermeshing of things coming together. And she says that this is also serendipity. And as anybody who knows me knows, serendipity is one of my favorite movies. I love everything about it. And in that movie, she uses the term happy accident for what serendipity means. And it is such a magical thing. When you think about it, the fact that we're humans here, we can just say we want to do something and then something just shows up for us to move forward. And it can be difficult to trust because we're always told that you have to work hard for what you want and nothing is free, nothing is easy, but sometimes it is. It does require action. Like I said, we're not just going to sit. I said this in the last episode too. We're not just going to sit and think about something and then never actually look around to see what might be able to get us closer to that dream. But it does happen quickly when you take it seriously. So I feel like something else that comes up here that resonated with me each time I've read this is the what must come before the how. I have talked about this in lots of different contexts including manifesting, including spirit crumbs, because once you decide what it is you want or how you want to feel, whatever it is you're trying to bring to you, in this case, when you want to live a creative life, when there's a certain creative path you want to pursue, you don't need to know how all the steps are going to come together. That is the magic. Yes, you have to start somewhere, but the synchronicities are the universe gifting you the how. It's just your commitment that's really key. It's just your commitment and deciding what it is you want that moves the whole process forward because then you're able to say, okay, I don't know where to start, but I can start reading. I can start, if you want to start writing, you just have to start writing something, just doing anything, brainstorming ideas for any creative thing you want to do, whatever it is that helps you. And so even starting with the things we've talked about before, starting with the morning pages, the artist dates, and filling your well, watching movies of people who do inspiring things, flipping through magazines, even scrolling on Instagram and accounts that are really inspiring to you, people who are already doing what you want to do. Those are ways to start, to at least start showing the universe, like, this is what I'm interested in doing. This is what I want my life to look like. That is really powerful. There's a quote, which off the top of my head, I can't remember who the poet is, but the quote is, action has magic, grace, and power in it. And the idea that this chapter is about power, we have to remember that that comes from within us for a lot of this, right? We are the ones who have to decide to do the thing. Nobody can do your creative project for you. That's what the magic is, is that it's your creativity, your inherent magic. Shame is something else that comes up a lot on this journey because we may have encountered people when we were younger that made us feel silly for doing creative things or may have told us we were doing it the wrong way. 
And something that a question that comes up a lot is what will they think of me once they know this? And this has a lot in common with having like a family secret she talks about. So creativity is like secret telling. It's exposing yourself to society. It's putting a light on your, on the darkness that's inside of you, things you've been hiding. But you also may be someone who your art reflects these painful parts of your past or painful parts of society that need to be seen that really motivate you to make the work. And so you, it may be a case where people want to shoot the messenger. You're just the one shining a light on it, but the darkness was already there. It's just you making it seen. And so this brings up the point of healing, that being seen is healing, whether it's something that is a wound that you've been ignoring or whether it's part of society that needs to change. It does bring healing when something is finally brought to the light and seen because you can address it at that point. So you may have a lot of childhood shaming or memories come up, like maybe you had expectations that weren't met, or maybe you were told it was too needy what you wanted. But this can also just manifest in other ways, where, for example, if you are working on a project, it's going really smoothly, and right before you get to the end of completing it, you start thinking like, oh, I'm not interested in this, in this anymore, or this isn't worth completing, or now you think it looks terrible all of a sudden. But sometimes this is just that you're avoiding the vulnerability of people seeing it and really being able to react to it. If it's something that's so deeply personal, which anything we create really is a personal thing, there's a chance that people might not like it. And there's something vulnerable about showing our deepest secrets, our deepest inner desires, our deepest feelings and opinions. And this sometimes comes up because when we were younger, let's say you got all A's, but it was really the B on your report card that people paid attention to. Maybe it was just that you did all these really great things that you felt good about, but no one ever noticed. Maybe it could be that you were given a lot of responsibility when you were younger. And when you did the one fun thing that you wanted to do, you were told you were being silly and that you were wasting time. There's lots of examples. That is a deeply personal journey. Like I said, it's very much your own childhood experience, but often anywhere you feel shame around will show up in your creative work because it's so deeply tied to your sense of identity and your vulnerabilities. In addition to maybe not wanting to finish the work, even if they finish it, you might not submit it to the festival that it could get into. If it, let's say it was a film or it was some sort of uh, an art market and you don't actually end up getting the booth that you want because you think that people might have comments about it that are less than kind. You might not apply for the grants that could support it to get it in front of a larger audience if you're an artist or a filmmaker. The shame might even just be around, like I said, just spending the time making the work. And so maybe you just feel like you don't want people to know you spent the time on it because it's not what you were primed for as a kid. Maybe everyone around you has really intense professional careers like maybe they're all lawyers and doctors and people who are typically successful 
And we have to keep in mind that this does bring us back to that safety map in the previous chapter of knowing who to show your work to and not shaming the, the early work, like what we talked about in the first and around safety. Keeping in mind that we can't avoid all criticism because some of it's very helpful. We're new. We have to just have that beginner's mindset and just realize that the biggest part is, is recognizing what type of criticism you're receiving. So somebody who's just saying like, that's dumb. It looks bad. Just saying like, why did you bother? Very general things are really vague and hard to really refute because you're like, okay, but what about it is bad, right? There's no actual feedback there. So those are the things that you can kind of just say, okay, I don't need to hold on to this. That's just them having their own reaction to my work. It's not about my work. That's about them and what they're projecting on me. But if someone says, maybe you could try using a different color, or I feel like this would be better if you tried this. That's something that you can actually sit with and say, okay, is this helpful? Is this something that I feel would be a good exploration to try? So it is good to start out with a smaller, safe environment, maybe other artists, maybe people who you know are just really helpful and productive. Anybody that you feel safe around is where you can start getting that feedback from. And then that way, when you do actually end up putting it in more of a positive or really supportive environment first, it primes you for when you do receive negative criticism at some point, or when you start being in a position to receive reviews about your work. And something that she says is that it's not that you say that it doesn't matter that you got bad feedback because it is going to impact you in some way, but just remembering to tell yourself you will heal. You will move forward from this. This isn't something that means you shouldn't ever try again. It's just that maybe it's a learning process. It's part of the process. So really being gentle with yourself in those moments is helpful because remembering that this chapter is about power. Like I said in the last episode, sometimes it's hard to see exactly where she's going with between the theme and the actual text. But I feel like remembering that you are still the one with the power. You have the power to choose what resonates with you and what does not and what is helpful and what is not. It's in your power because it's your art. It's your work. It's your creativity. And she has a couple other resources in this chapter, um, kind of like the roadmap of last week's episode. She talks about dealing with criticism and remembering that it's your inner child that you're dealing with here. And she talks about what I just said, like the useless criticism versus helpful criticism. And there's some steps that she says for dealing with it. And I'm not going to read them all. There's nine steps and they're kind of what I already said, but Really just remembering to make notes of anything that does feel useful and doing nurturing things for yourself. Reading good reviews or recalling compliments from the past can really help to balance out that process, especially at the beginning. But remembering even from the very first week what we talked about that the work's not going to be great right away. And so just remembering that this is great. You got the, you're getting the bad stuff out of the way so that you can get to the good stuff. 
then looking at the criticism and saying, why was this particular hurt, particularly hurtful? If there's something that really bothered you. And that's where you look again to see, okay, is there something from childhood or from the past that this is similar to, because that could be a really great opportunity for healing. Like a lot of people suggest for any of these moments or any of these situations, you can write a letter that you don't send to that person defending your work and acknowledging what was helpful so that if you're not ready to have those conversations or if you kind of were too stunned in the moment, it helps you to process it so that maybe next time you'll be able to deal with it in the moment. And then remembering to get back to the work, getting back to the creative process, whatever that looks like for you making a commitment to right away do something creative so that you don't get into a funk and you don't stay away from it long enough that you have to start over in the whole recovery process. Another really cool exercise that it's not part of the exercises, but it's part of the chapter is what she calls detective work, where you're really taking a look at where some past things could be useful now. So think of it like some fragments of yourself that you're retrieving. The list of things are my favorite childhood toy was, my favorite childhood game was, the best movie I ever saw as a kid was, I don't do it much, but I enjoy. If I could lighten up a little, I'd let myself. If it weren't too late, I would. My favorite, favorite musical instrument is, the amount of money I spend on treating myself to entertainment each month is. If I weren't so stingy with my artist, I'd buy them. Taking time out for myself is. I am afraid that if I start dreaming, I secretly enjoy reading. If I had a perfect childhood, I'd have grown up to be. If it didn't sound so crazy, I'd write or make a. My parents think artists are. My God, universe, source, creator thinks artists are. What makes me feel weird about this recovery is. Learning to trust myself is probably. My most cheer me up music is. My favorite way to dress is. It talks about a lot of things from childhood again. And one of the things that stuck out to me, like I listed these all, I won't read all of mine, but one of mine was that my favorite childhood toy was a little mini laminator. I can't remember if I've mentioned this before or not, but I loved laminating things. And I don't know if that's because I'm like a double Capricorn and it's just like so satisfying, but just little things like that make me think like, oh, you know what? Maybe I need to find a way to incorporate like framing my work because sometimes I, I have a whole pile of prints that I would like to put up, but I don't want to just have them on the wall on their own. And so it's finding those little hints like that of like, oh, maybe that can be part of my process is finding the right way to display the work because that obviously preserving things and making things look nice is really important to me for some reason. It's just really good to get an idea of how you can take back a bit of your power in these. Like these are obviously hints at things that mean something to you or impact why you're not showing up the way you'd like to be. And that leads us to the last section, which is growth. And 
it, this is something I talk about in terms of like energy healing or healing or shadow work, any of the work I do, which is that it's not linear. It's going to be a little bit back and forth. You might actually have a really great week and then a really crappy week and that's okay. That's normal. And what she says is that they're called growth spurts for a reason. Like that's kind of one of the things that came to me because she says growth occurs in spurts. And she says, you will lie dormant sometimes. Don't be discouraged. Think of it as resting. And I think that's really important that we do need recovery time, right? It takes a while to get going and it can take a lot of energy out of you to do something that's so out of your comfort zone. So even if you're just doing a tiny thing, you're going to need some time to recoup, recoup from that. And that none of this is pointless. Every little tiny bit that you do builds up your confidence and helps you restore your own power. And, you know, she says in the previous, and one of the previous things I said, how like the morning pages are meant for you to rest there. That's where you're just scribbling. Even if you're having a crappy week, just write about why your week is so feeling so crappy. And something that I love about this is that she talks about part of doing that, part of that growth and rest period is that really you should think about doing one nice thing for yourself every day and then see how two things will come up for you in exchange. So it may not be exactly that ratio, but it's just the example of like when you do something nice for yourself, maybe you'll have someone just out of the blue offer to help you, or maybe you'll get a gift that comes up. Something free will show up that could really make you feel good. And so something you can do to start seeing how this might show up is writing a list of little things that you wish you had, whether that's writing out the whole wardrobe you'd like to have, what books you'd like to read, any of those things. And then when you're doing nice things for yourself, A, one of those things could be getting something from the list, but just seeing if those things start to show up or start to seem more accessible to you. Now that brings us to the tasks. So the first task is to describe your childhood room. And you can draw it if you want, you can make a list of everything you can remember, whatever is good for you for really getting into the sense of what that room looked like and how you felt in it. For me, what is hilarious is that when I was, I guess around like preteen age, my room was orange with a tie-dye border. And now, if anybody knows me, I wear mostly black. My apartment is mostly neutral. The only colors I really have are kind of like teals. I love emerald green and like gray. I love gray. So it's a little bit hilarious to me that my room was like filled with color. But something that she says in this exercise is remembering what your favorite thing was in the room. And then thinking about what your favorite thing is about your room now. And what's funny is I don't actually remember what my favorite thing would have been in my room when I was at that age. I'm honestly not sure. It might've been like I had my own phone, you know, like a cordless phone that was like brand new at the time, but I couldn't tell you. What I do know about now is that what I love in my room is my bed. I have a really nice comforter that I bought for myself 
few years ago, but I really, really like it. And it's gray and it is textured and it's just everything I like. And so when it says to think of maybe getting something that reminds you of your old childhood room, maybe I need to put up some of my prints that have some color. And that could be doing two things at once, because like I said, I liked having a laminator. I liked having things safe and preserved. I, like I said, I want to have my prints up. So that could be two birds with one stone in that case. The next one says to describe five, five traits that you like in yourself as a child, which I think is really cool. I know for me, I was more confident. Like I, I made a story once I wrote out a little book and illustrated pictures and I felt confident enough to ask my teacher if I could read it to my class. And I think that's pretty awesome because now it sounds terrifying. <laughs> And then listing five childhood accomplishments. So that could even be like one of my accomplishments is that specific thing. Um, and it could be silly. It could just be like one of the examples she gives is punching out the class bully or training the dog, you know? So it's just whatever you were like, yeah, that was like emulating something I would like to do now or like an energy I want to have now. And then listing your five favorite childhood foods and then buying one of them this week. So if you loved Jell-O, go get Jell-O. Number four is a little bit more looking at right now. So you're looking at your habits with this one. So a lot of them, the reason to look at these is that they are interfering with how you should be nurturing yourself and they could be causing you shame that you don't realize they are. So the first one is your rotten habits. So writing down three of the obvious ones that you could probably stop doing. So whether this is just killing time or things that are just making you feel like your day drags on, anything that's just really not serving you. And then the more subtle ones, three of those ones. So things that maybe you're just not leaving yourself enough time for something, or maybe it's like exercise, like you're just not exercising enough, but you're you're still doing it. Just anything that's not quite as intense, like binging Netflix or smoking maybe could be on your rotten habits. And then, like I said, just not leaving yourself enough or helping others too much, you know, things like that, that are like, you know, when you're asked, like, what are your, um, your best and worst traits or whatever, when you're in an interview and you say, Oh, my worst quality is that I'm just, I take on too much or I, I'm too detailed and like, it's really a good thing. Those are kind of the things you want to put on the, um, the, the more subtle ones. And then it says to make a list of three nurturing friends and which of their traits really serve you well so that you can realize you do have support. And number six is related to that. It's calling one of those people who makes you feel like you can accomplish things and really is going to be supportive and help make sure that you take those new risks that you want to take. And then your inner compass. We all have some instinct inside our intuition that pushes us towards what's healthiest for us and warns us when we're not on the right path and when we're doing something that's not safe. So in your morning pages is a great way to start addressing those things, like things that are showing up, but also artist brain activities like driving, walking, doing the dishes, those things where your mind is just wandering, letting yourself just talk in your head, just thinking about what insights are coming up around your inner compass. Like where are you being shown 
to make some changes? And where are you being shown which ones are good and which ones are really bad maybe at the moment? Things that are more warnings and more inspirational. And then the next two are both, so the next three are all related. So you're going to list five people who you admire and what their traits are that you could cultivate for yourself. Then five people who are dead that you wish you could have met. And thinking about what the traits they have that you could look for in friends now. And then comparing those lists and seeing the difference between traits that you think you should admire, like, oh, this person is so hardworking, they're a CEO, versus what your heart might admire. Like this person really just prioritizes their health and well-being, and this person prioritizes their joy. Looking at those qualities. So that is it for week three, recovering a sense of power. Um, and like I said, the power that really is showing up there is taking action, really following the synchronicity, committing to yourself, and really having the patience with your growth, because that's part of cultivating your power is like anything powerful needs a rest period as well. It is powerful to take a rest. Sometimes that's harder than doing the work is letting ourselves rest, right? So for me this week, I went to the thrift store as my artist date and I just wandered around. I actually didn't buy anything, which is a miracle because that's nearly impossible for me. But I just really wanted to be curious and just look around what was there. So I saw a few pieces of clothing that were just had really interesting textures. And there was some artwork at the back that really was unique. And then there were some pieces that I looked at that I was like, wow, that's such like a cliche. <laughs> and even that was interesting to me, like how our brains just have certain images that just are familiar, even if it's something we don't have. It's just like, I've seen that a million times. And then I also really enjoy looking at just like the dishes and the patterns and the shapes and textures. Again, texture is a really big thing for me. And so that was something that I really realized by doing this artist date was that I really want to look at how I can add texture to my work going forward. So that was super interesting. And that it asked in this specific week to notice if there were any synchronicities. And I noticed that once I started asking out loud, like, you know what, I feel like I would like to have some partnership opportunities come up and I need to know if I need to focus more on my art or my spirituality. And I had a reading that was amazing. It really helped point me in the direction of some opportunities that were real opportunities that are in my energy with people I know that I had been kind of thinking about and also to a type of artwork that I'm going to explore. I'm not going to talk about either, either of those right now because I want to actually do them and then be able to tell you how it goes. But uh, my reading was an Akashic Records reading with Karen Hibble, who I will put in the comments here. Her work is always amazing. She does past life regressions, um, all kinds of readings, and she is always super accurate. She gave details to me that were very familiar. And what was really cool was one of the art 
inspirations that she saw for me was something that another reading that I had a week or so ago also outlined and it's very specific. So I will show you guys an example when I do it, but it's just looking for those things to show up and just asking the questions like saying out loud what you want to do and then seeing what comes up. And of course I did my artist pages every day. I'm still on a roll with that. And something else that I wanted to start talking about is how I filled my well. And this week, what I did, believe it or not, was I just sat for a couple hours watching TikTok, TikTok videos. But what I was doing was really interacting more with the art ones, which now most of my feed is artists, which is really cool. I started following some artists that are doing similar work to what I work through, similar mediums. So paper, watercolor, any anything that's really textural as well. So I've been following some other concrete artists and stuff. So that was really helpful for me too, because now I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, all that's left is that I really, really want to make something now. So it's working guys, it's working already and it's only week three. So I really hope that this episode is motivating you to claim back your own power in your creativity. And I look forward to next week as we explore recovering a sense of integrity. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Spirit Crumbs. You can find me on Instagram for this podcast at Spirit Crumbs, or you can also find me at Concrete and Crystals for my own spiritual offerings and more tidbits about my own journey. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.